The Academy of Esports podcast is brought to you by League Spot. League Spot, your brand, your league, your way. Welcome to the Academy of Esports with James O'Hagan. He's on fire. Boom shakalaka. Welcome to the Academy of Esports podcast. I am your host, James O'Hagan. The Academy of Esports is sponsored by League Spot. League Spot, your league, your brand, your way. And I am with the editor and founder of the Esports Advocate, James Fudge. James, thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. It's my pleasure. Well, it's absolutely my pleasure, James. I've I've been a fan of you as a journalist and of your writing. I feel that um, I'm honored that you have chosen to be a guest here on the Academy of Esports podcast, especially since we speak mainly to students, teachers, uh, educators, those trying to get young people involved in gaming beyond the games in a lot of ways. And I think journalism is one of those areas that unfortunately in the in the recent years has been under attack, especially when we talk about local journalism and yeah. esports journalism, even as as gaming and esports have grown, um, it's become a space and a place where uh, there has been actually a reduction, it seems, or a consolidation in a lot of ways of some of the outlets, especially when you know, we think about ESPN several years ago shuttering their entire uh, esports division. Um, but before we get too deep into the conversation, James, um, I want to first kind of introduce you and uh, ease you into the conversation with our guest, our, our, our listeners here. Um, I have some get to know you questions that I like to ask our guests. Yeah. And so uh, first, first question, what is a game? And it doesn't have to be a video game that stands out as having been important to you at some point in your life. Why was the experience meaningful? Well, I would say uh, Quake from id Software. Um, Quake really is why I'm doing this 25 years later. Um, I, I played it and I loved it. Um, and it led to me being interested in mods and uh, the modding community. And so I started to really follow that. And then I decided um, one of my favorite sites uh, started by Steve Heslop. That's uh, called Blue Zoos. I started sending him tips and stuff. And so, like, he would put my stuff on there and I'd get my name on there. Uh, and then, you know, about six months or a year later, he recommended me to um, an IDG magazine called uh, PC Games. And uh, I've been in the I've been in the industry ever since. And. I guess, you know, when we're thinking 25 years ago, so 98, 97. Okay. Um, yeah, as a, as a, I'm a child of the eighties grew up and we had things like Nintendo power magazine. And, and, and again, there was a lot of physical magazines you could buy, but right. it seems that uh, I, you know, when you, when you think about journalism, uh, there was a lot of stories that would be written a lot of trade stories. It would seem but um, before we get in too much deeper, it seems like the 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 uh, seriousness, I guess, of the topics or the importance of gaming topics, especially now with the social impact that we're seeing with them. Um, have you seen an evolution from the time starting with Quake to where you are now? Well, I, I think the community has changed, you know, um, you know, it used to be mostly, you know, young males. And now it's, uh, you know, it basically, it touches everybody. Gaming, you know, gaming wasn't as popular in the 90s as it is now. Like every household has some type of gaming device, whether it's a phone or a console or, or a computer. So like it has really invaded society, you know, and on a global basis, really. So, um, but I mean, right now we're kind of struggling with inclusion um it's gotten a little bit better over the last few years but um you know how the community treats people that are different so i think that's something that we're working on and we're, we're making strides in so that's kind well, of where it, we're at today 
Well, it's it is nice to be able to find somebody else uh, who can remember that. First of all, can remember the '90s, uh, much as right. such as myself. <laughs> when we talk about games and this such, and for those of you who may be listening who do not know a whole lot about Quake, uh, Quake is probably what the. I'm trying to think of, you know, outside of going to an arcade. Uh, people were setting up tournaments and and renting places and spaces to play Quake, it, bringing PCs, which, you know, th- I think Quake was, would you say Quake was probably the first real game that people would bring their computers to a location? Like, tr- I mean, we're not talking like laptops and we're not talking these things being light. Right. These were like 50 pound, 60 pound machines. Would you say that that was the first game to your memory that, People would travel and set up and bring their, you know, bring their stuff from home. Well, maybe Doom before that, but not mm. so much as Quake. And I, w- I would say this about Quake. We wouldn't have games like Counter-Strike if it wasn't for Quake. Because it because we wouldn't have Half-Life if it wasn't for Quake. And uh, I don't know if a lot of people know this now, but like... The development of Half-Life started on the Quake engine, and then later, you know, they made their own engine. But like, so Game Newell saw Quake obviously, and and said, "I want to make a game," and so he licensed the engine, and he left Microsoft to license the engine and and built Half-Life, and then, you know, later the community built, you know, they built um, things like capture the flag and team fortress and and then you know obviously counter-strike which um uh Bell was smart enough to to all you know go out and say we want to own this and you know, the rest is kind of history when it comes to esports yeah uh in my memory it was uh half i when i bought half-life 2 i also got this game called counter-strike source and i'm thinking like right. what am i gonna do with this and then mm-hmm. i started working with some people at best buy and uh, yeah, then it turned into these all night gaming sessions of of Counter-Strike Source. I even when people say, oh, do you play Counter-Strike? I go, yeah, I play Source. And actually, I will and again admit this to the audience and I'm admitting it to James as, as a journalist. Uh, uh, <laughs> I have a VAC ban in on my Steam ID because I did a little naughtiness with uh, Counter-Strike Source by turning on an aimbot and uh, seeing through walls. I wanted to see if it worked. Right. It 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 worked, and then they quickly figured out what I was doing, and I got my account banned. So, uh, so if you go onto my Steam, you will see, and I think I'm up to five thousand plus days since my last ban. But yeah, that's that's the one game that I have been. Uh, I tried something nefarious in, in my youth and uh, lost out. Well, we've all been there. <laughs> uh, second, get to know you question. Maybe it's totally eccentric or maybe it's quite traditional, but what is your superpower? What is that thing you do better than most people or what do you wish you could do? Uh, I guess my ability to, to function on two to three hours of sleep at a time. Um, <laughs> Cause I'm, um, you know, I, I, I check in, uh, you know, I'm really passionate about, about covering this space. So I'll check in during European time, during uh, India time, uh, you know, Southeast Asia. So, um, you know, the ability to do that and function and, you know, and I, it kind of sounds like bragging and I don't really like that, but uh, um, I can put together a breaking story pretty quickly. <laughs> so I can edit, I can edit somebody else's breaking story, add context to it and get it out pretty quickly. So as far is that, a, is that a copywriter? Is that what they call those in journalism, or is that is that what I'm thinking of as the term? Oh, line editor or copy editors. Uh, copy okay. Ed- copywriters tend to write copy for you know like marketing and stuff like that. Oh, that, I, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> but um, yeah, and I would also say um, I always try and be nice to people. So you know, I do a lot of networking, and so I, I have a vast network. And um, it's very, very handy. You never know. You you should always be nice to people because um, you never know where they're going to be working. And um, so if you're mean to them, that 
that that has an impression on people that lasts for a long time. So you should always try and be nice. I have uh, I have found, and maybe it's because working as an educator for as long as I do, and again, you work with kids, and you know sometimes you see the potential, and sometimes you don't. Um, and right. again, I I can't believe I've I was started teaching in 1999, and knowing now that the kids who I taught back then were fifth graders, ten years old, are now 33. Right. You know, it, it it and with kids and married and and jobs and uh, it's amazing how in this space what I've seen are these people these kids who come to you especially a lot of in the collegiate scene who want to reach out and they want to you know pick your brain and talk to you and find out what you know and you know ask advice and a lot of these kids I, I keep saying kids because everybody's younger than us um, <laughs> is is yeah that um, it, it's having that that respect because of, of, again, this is such a new field. This is such a new area. Um, and I'm sure you've seen it and covered it too in your journalism work of just how quickly something can change on a dime, whether it's a company or, or, you know, even just what was it yesterday? There was, um, it was a uh, hundred thieves laid off a, a number of people and that's not to say those people were were bad or anything like that. Right. It's just that, that that the market is shifting, and you know those people who got laid off could go off and start something brilliant and and be productive and and add to the space as well too. It's 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 just that fast around here. It seems. Yeah, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a tough year, I think. Um, but I do think when all of the the pain of of, of these layoffs and and these some of these companies that won't make it to the end of 2023 um you know the industry is going to be better for it um sorry my cat just decided to uh claw my leg that's okay yeah and and so as you're answering i've got a hypodermic needle tearing into my mm -hmm. pants um, all right name a song it's that one whenever it hits your speakers you're going to sing along to it um, I would say Creedence Clear, Clearwater Revival's uh, Fortunate Son, and that's because um, it really represents kind of how I grew up, and, you know, no one gave me a break. Um, I had to find my own way, so. Um, and I think you've had a pretty interesting journey as far yeah. as your your pathway to becoming a journalist. Uh, when we When we spoke... It wasn't journalism that you started out with you're in the construction trades, but again, it was your passion and your love for Quake in particular um, right. that has led you to where you are. And I know that there's probably a number of students and teachers who are advising uh, their own students right now about the pathway. That you, and and there's there's great, you know, journalism schools, Northwestern, Missouri right. have great journalism programs, but. You know, given the state of journalism today and the return, you know, it's not like every town anymore, unfortunately, has a local newspaper or something. It, it's almost like a struggle as to should I get it's almost very scary to decide, I guess, in a lot of ways, should I get started? Um, you you were again, when you started, there was a lot more. Again, local journalism was still a thing. There was still a lot more resources. Um, right. But again, I think you've found a really interesting way to get through and again that that fortunate son um analogy is i think now especially in this day and age when it comes to journalism it it's like yeah i don't have a silver spoon i don't have a, a massive you know new york times or wall street journal budget it is it is getting down to it and scrapping and and again building networks and connections with people and trust would that yeah, be I, fair to say yeah i think so um and i would say um you know there are opportunities that that aren't local newspapers, but um, you know there's websites everywhere that that are looking for young talent. But um, and I, you know some some of them are questionable, obviously, and um, so you have to take that in, into consideration. Some of some of them are like internships because they don't want to pay you. Um, but I mean, if you're willing. To, to do that, I don't think there's anything wrong with it. Just try and learn as much as you can. And and um, my advice for people that do want to get in this space, and I don't know why they would want to, honestly, it's not, you're not going to get rich, 
or anything. So if that's your goal, then maybe look elsewhere. But um, I would say read the read good writing. Um, you know, read good writers. Um, read good publications. Um, learn how to learn how to craft sentences and paragraphs and stuff. You don't have to. You know, you should go to college if you can, but if you can't, there's plenty of resources that you can use to um, to learn how to be a better writer. So, uh, and again, for those high school teachers and and high school students who may be listening to that, it is talking to your teachers. We love it when you come right. to us and say, "Hey, I want to be a better writer," and take the feedback and actually edit and and do it. Um, and again, this kind of leads into a bit of the conversation today. Again, the Esports Advocate is a new uh, website that you put together to report on esports news. You also have your Substack, which again, if you're a, if you're somebody who's new into the journalism field, having your own Substack and developing or or a Patreon type system where you can write and people can pay for your content to support it if they wish is another great way. I know you you do that. Jacob Wolf is another great uh, esports writer uh, who does that. But why, again, is, is I think it's important to talk about why you started the Esports Advocate. I know that there's a few uh, news websites right now, but touch on that for a second, if you will, about why you, you decided that we needed another. <laughs> not, to say it, not saying it like that, but we need, why we need another. We need another friggin' news site, right? Yeah. Um, but I, I would say... Um, we have sites like Esports uh, uh, Insider, and they do a great job of covering everything. And um, and you know um, we have sites like Desirado that cover really a broad range of topics. Um, but um, we don't have anything that's really focusing on business, the business of esports, and and things that are tangentially uh, connected to them. So I, I really wanted to create a focus publication that's gonna you know dive in deep dive deep into some of these topics that are important like what's going on this year with the esports industry you know why companies fail why they're succeeding in in, in this really terrible economy and um so i just and you know obviously i'm a little bit of a control freak so i want uh, i want better writing and um you know journalism to happen i guess like real you know like track you know just doing journalism reaching out talking to people instead of just writing a story well and and here's something i know we talked about in our pre-conversation i'm not going to get into too many of the specifics but about i guess the process right because you can have a great story that's presented to somebody, a reporter can say, yes, I'm going to get on this. I'm going to start to work through it. You know, they're, they're, and then all of a sudden, you know, some of these stories make it to print or onto a website uh, and others sometimes are, are stopped for a variety of reasons. And I know you really educated me on, on kind of the process. So once, once a story kind of has legs, if you will, um, and you're, you're working on this, when you are other than before, obviously now you have your own news site, you can kind of get to decide this, but what would make you pause or what might make you uh, not put something out there into uh, like onto your news site about, you know, again, esports and the business of. I would say if you can't confirm some of the facts, you shouldn't just run with it. Um, mm-hmm. Speculation's terrible. It's, you know, you're doing a disservice to the topic, to the company or person or organization that you're writing about. You you have to be honest. You have to have real sources and, you know, you have to talk to people. You have to pick up the phone and call people and just work sources and, and find information that may be hidden. So I would say if you can't, if you can't prove it, like, if you can't, if you have no way to prove it, even if you're not showing the reader what that is for whatever reason, you shouldn't run it. So, but what about again? I, and and I I don't want to, you know, we've we, it, it's important to talk about what journalism is, and then of course there's the Twitter. What do we call it? Citizen. What do we want to call it? Citizen journalism. Uh, we've seen it many times, especially in. Um, 
the gaming industry when people share their experiences in an almost, um, you know, from their, you know, just narrative, right? Right. Um, how they how they see things and how how things played out. Uh, and we've seen what that can do to some careers, whether it's accurate or if it's not in, in worst case, when it's not, especially uh, what it can do. Um, how would you if 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 I was somebody who who thought there's there's something that's really important and I need to discuss it or share this story um, and I don't want to just put somebody on blast, you know, with a twit longer or something like that, where everything is laid out there. Um, how would they approach you? to come and propose the story. Well, um, big five. I think because I think people think that you have, you have your finger on everything and you're going to figure it out whether, whether they, they know or not. I, what, how, how do you, I guess, come across stories? Is it mostly people coming to you or is it you going out and finding where they are? I read a lot of stuff on a lot of platforms and, Sometimes you pick up little hints or breadcrumbs of things. And sometimes it's just blatantly obvious. But uh, yeah, some people do come to me and, and say, I have this, I know about this thing. You should look into it or so. And I have like, right now, I probably have five things I'm looking at that, you know, that people have come to me with or I found on, you know, LinkedIn or Twitter or wherever. So. Mm -hmm. I read a lot though. I read so much stuff every day. Well, as you said, you're, you're, you're somebody who almost has to have a 24 hour news cycle in and of yourself. Um, where, where do you go? You said Twitter, you said LinkedIn, are there other places that you go to start looking for these breadcrumbs? And if you, if you have your secret place, like well, your secret fishing hole, you don't have to share that, but no, I'm not going to share that, but, uh, <laughs> again, yeah, I do read, uh, other websites. Um, you know, they cover the space and I properly credit them if I find something, which you should mm -hmm. do always, always credit. Even if you don't, even if you don't, even if you hate the other site, <laughs> credit, <laughs> always credit, because that's important. Don't, don't take other people's uh, work and, and uh, make it your own. That's just kind of unethical. But uh, yeah, so I look at other websites, I look at social media, um, you know, I Google, I look at Google, I look at Bing. Nobody looks at Bing. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> they should. <laughs> and I'm not endorsing it as a um, search engine, but there is information there. So, uh, One of the other questions I have for you today, and this was one I you wanted to, to pursue and it was made. And I, and the question is, do you have a story about how gaming has changed your life or someone else's? Now, it could be something I, I want to give you an opportunity to speak directly to that question, however you want to interpret it. But I would also ask that, has there been something from your reporting, maybe a story that you reported that has impacted somebody's life to your knowledge? And I'll just throw that as a caveat or, or an additional thought question. But you can take the question as you wish. Well, maybe not a story, but there was another guy and I can't remember his last name, but it, it, it was Hannah. I think he's a a um a banker or something now or a venture capitalist uh working in pakistan but he was kind of doing the same thing i was doing with quake news and instead of getting agitated with him i was i i helped him out i gave him tips and so like he remembered that 10 years later <laughs> he caught up with me and he remembered it and so like it gave him some confidence maybe, or, you know, inspired him to do what he's doing now. But um, yeah, I mean, uh, it goes back to being nice to people. Like people do remember that. And, um, and if you can help somebody and it's, you know, and it's not going to be an undue burden on you, you should help people when, when you can. Oh, you know, and listen, you know, I don't care if I had 50 million followers, right? If some, if some young guy or girl came to me and asked me for advice or, or asked me for help and I can do that, I, I will always do it. Um, yeah, I think, again, of the students with which I work. And again, to reiterate, you know, you look at that 16-year-old and you go, man, I don't know what they're going to become. And, and a lot of times it surprises you right. what that person will become or, or who they will become. 
And uh, we can never, <coughs> excuse me, we can never forget that. Um, is there been a story, and this is this is a audible question, has there been a story that you've covered that just, you were so happy that you got to just report it? Like you were like, oh man, I am so glad I get to share this story with everyone. Uh, well, I would say, and a lot of people were like, why the, why the F are you covering this? But uh, uh, the stuff with TikTok, when, when um, the previous administration decided that they were going to try and ban it in the United States, um, mm -hmm. you know, at, at that time, um, a lot of esports organizations and game companies were just starting to use the platform to, you know, to promote their stuff or, or to try and make money. And so I just started covering it and I thought I was so glad that I covered all of that. And, you know, eventually they bought Moonton who makes a mobile legends bang, bang. And now, you know, show me an esports organization that's not on TikTok. So like, imagine if it had been banned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I, th again, I think the, Oh, and I want to add something. Go also, ahead it did lead to Riot Games and Activision getting letters from uh, uh, the Committee on Foreign Investments in the United States asking them what they did with user data. So it did lead back to esports. And, well, and I think, again, what you just alluded to is that while uh, you're, you're a journalist first, right? It, right? Because your focus is in Quake, well, started in Quake, didn't mean you can't report on other things, right? A journalist right. a journalist is a journalist. They are somebody who can find a story and and present it in a way that is interesting and and exhibits the newsworthiness of it. It doesn't mean that you just because you're the sports journalist doesn't mean you can't share a story where uh, and, and we see it all the time with sports. Uh look at the DeMar Hamlin uh story. Yeah. That has transcended sports. In fact, I was talking with a cousin of mine in Ireland who doesn't know anything about the NFL, but he knows about DeMar Hamlin. And he, I, was, I was very, because he lives in very rural Ireland. And I was like, you know right. about this story? And again, it, it's these stories that, as you talk about just now, just because it's gaming doesn't mean there isn't a human interest. There doesn't mean that there's not something else there that can, again, transcend the subject matter material. Data privacy in our day and age in all of its forms is something that should be explored and asked questions of, especially as even with uh, uh, you know companies that say they have a third party connection, right? You know, terms of service. Those right. things are free and should be questioned. As an example, um, one of the questions to follow up on, look into uh, parents, how can parents in your mind use gaming to better connect with their kids? Again, you've been doing this since 1996, but I mean, you were a gamer probably before then, correct? Oh, yeah. The first game I played was Pong. <laughs> I, played, I played Asteroids in the Arcade and Donkey Kong. And so that was a you very, very... Um, <laughs> costly you know when you don't have money arcade games are, are pretty costly so uh, it was a costly uh, adventure every time but uh yeah so i've been playing for a long time i was lucky to get a quarter from my grandfather when we would go to the garden city pool in long island uh right i'd get one quarter that was it uh where, where did you grow up you're in uh east coast right north uh, England, yeah i grew up in uh, upstate new york okay and, and vermont we moved around a lot so yeah, and I would imagine that it wasn't like finding an arcade. Well, actually, isn't it? No, it's uh, New Hampshire where the big, uh, I guess the big arcade now is. Uh, I forgot the name of it. It's a place I want to go to, but yeah. Um, yeah, in Vermont, there's like one store in the town and that's it. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> a bunch of cows and some farms and maybe one little tiny store. You have to go to the big city to get anything. So yeah, no arcades. Though I will say for you young young people who are listening, you would find in the 80s, especially you would find arcade games in the strangest of places. There would right. be people who I mean, grocery stores would have arcades, uh, heart, uh, heart, not hardware stores, um, pharmacies, 
uh, pizza places was, you know, they still sometimes you see them at pizza places now still. Was there, what was the strangest place you ever saw an arcade game? I'm trying to think. Um, and if it's not like strange, then it's no, just one of the Seeing it in the grocery store was kind of weird. Um, you know, bars, a lot of bars had them. Um, yeah. It's weird to see them in a bar, bar actually, because back then people weren't, you know, there weren't a lot of arcade enthusiasts at bars. They were there to drink. Yeah. So they were, that's changed now. Everybody, everybody kind of games, but back then, yeah, kind of odd. <laughs> but yeah. the grocery store, um, I remember seeing uh, after Super Mario Brothers came out on the NES, um, they had a Super Mario game in the arcade, which I thought was. Oh, really yeah. Bizarre. Really bizarre. Yeah, that was a straight NES port, too. It was yeah. like they didn't, it, and it's like you could play on a quarter, you know, you got through level 8-3, you, you won. Okay, cool. Yeah, that was a strange one. You know, if it looks like I have crazy eyes, it's because the camera's in a weird <laughs> angle because I'm doing some construction on this office and it's a mess. No, so. you don't have to, you don't have to explain that at all. No I'm, I'm trying to figure out where the camera is because I moved it. I'm used to having it in a certain place, but. Now, over the 25 plus years that you've been covering gaming, you know, starting with Quake, uh, there's obviously been a, a, a cultural shift, not just in how games are accepted, but who is playing them, or I guess you could say openly playing them, because it seems like uh, there's there were a lot of, especially in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s, there were a lot of closet gamers, especially when we're talking about females uh, right. who would, you know, never admit to, but you you could find that there were, uh, for lack of a better phrase, girl gamers. What should we all be doing right now to make the ideas of DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, the status quo in gaming? And again, you're covering a lot right now, and I know you probably see the good and the bad in this. So what are some of your thoughts right now around DEI? Well, when it comes to the actual esports industry, I would say there's a lot of talk about uh, diversity and inclusion, but the, you can tell that it's not it's not serious talk because if it was serious talk, you would see more uh, women, people of color, and uh, transgender people in you know executive roles. And I, I always say like I want to see um, I want to see organizations that don't look like me but look like more you know, representative of what society is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, more people of color, more tra transgender people, um, more women. Um, so I don't, I don't think that's happening in esports. E and so we have to stop giving lip service to things, social issues, and, you know, start implementing them if we're serious. It, I, I look at, you know, again, the, one of the companies that I think of when you talk about that in particular is Xset. Uh, Xset again being a, a brand, more of a I guess you could say a lifestyle or brand, not so much a a competitive company. Um, but even with the best of intentions, uh, my own personal experience from going into their Discord when they first launched was racism was right there when I stepped when I stepped into it. Uh, and I again, I'm not saying that that's the case now. Right. But, but the culture, I it's almost like the sexism and the racism is it's one of the things that we in the scholastic space try to push against. Um, do, do you how much do you feel of the DEI? Talk? It sounds like from what you're saying. And again, I don't want to put too many words in your mouth here, journalist. You can I, I'm sure you could write circles around me. But when, it, when you talk about that, does it feel to you in your mind reporting on these things, does it feel more like marketing or does it feel like it has real teeth? And if it does have real teeth, what is an indicator to you? Is it just having a person in a position or is there something else that you look for? It's not only about having a person in a position. It's about actually listening to that person and setting policy that, you know, that reflects diversity and inclusion, right? You know, you can't have someone get better compensation because they're a white guy and, and, and then, you know, not have the same thing for women. 
I mean, that hasn't changed really in, in uh, corporate America. You know, women still do get paid less than men. So, so when you as a journalist then are talking to these companies who say, who may say either on or off the record to you, oh, we're doing such great things for DEI and blah, blah, blah. And I guess this is something too that, you know, as, as we're talking to young people who may want to step in, into this field, um, how do you, I guess, not just take them at their word? How do you, again, you may, you may feel that they're kind of leading you on or, or trying to, it, journalism isn't like you're having a conversation with a friend. You're trying to get a story. You're trying to get truth. How right. do you, how do you get truth when you, when you're like, you know, if you rec- if you recognize that what you're, they're saying may be complete hogwash, for lack of a better phrase that I can use on this podcast. How, <laughs> I mean, it's gotta be uncomfortable sometimes when you're talking with these people. And again, I want to make sure that they, that kids who are considering getting into this realize that the journalism is, is again, getting to truth and you have to have your sensors on. How do you have your sensors on? Well, I mean, all you have to do really is look at, you know, what the makeup of the company is. You can go look. Um, I do want to give credit to Guild Esports who, you know, they had a, a, a bunch of recent hires and I think all of them were women. So, and they were, they were executive roles. So like, we need to see more of that. Um, mm-hmm. on a, yeah, I kind of want to backtrack a little and, and sure. say, say that XSET, um, XSET really is, um, you know, they have, they have, uh, they have uh, Simon in the, in an, in an executive role and an ownership role and they do, you know, they really care about, uh, diversity and inclusion so um you know probably it's tough to control a community especially mm-hmm. when you're starting out so um i think that community has probably changed since since you went into that discord server <laughs> I, literally it was probably the first week i saw the story that they did on them in the new york times i went okay i'm gonna go check this out and and again i believe especially with uh, somebody like uh, Ashley working there as well, too, uh, and, and representing the company, uh, Aaron Ashley Simon, sorry. Um, yeah. I know I know that that what they are doing is, I believe, at least from what I can tell and see, is real. Uh, but again, from the conversations I've had and the conversations I'm sure that you have had, it's it's you don't have to go sometimes too low, too deep in the layers to find where the marketing ends and the truth begins. Uh, right. And, and it seems like there's a lot, you know, and that's the trick with this, right? There's There seems to be a lot of money on the table. It's a gold rush in a lot of ways. Uh, the that's marketing, <laughs> go, well, go, well, yeah, I mean, are we seeing now again, again, the 100 Thieves announcement where they're laying off a number of people? Are we getting to the end of the phase where sponsorships and um, are going to largely, and I think they are largely ending, and we are not going to be funding people's lifestyles anymore. I mean, that's what these brands have become. They've become less gaming companies and more lifestyle companies. Are we seeing the end of the lifestyle era of esports gaming companies? I don't know about the end of the lifestyle era. Maybe as you define, as you just defined it, but um, I would say um, we are going to see the end of crazy spending. Um, we're going to we're going to see some correction maybe in what players are paid um, and people that are terrible at management are going to, you know, be found out. I mean, and some of these companies are going to go out of business. So that's just reality this year and it's terrible and people are going to lose their jobs, but uh, that's, you know, that's reality. But I think what rises from, I think what whatever companies survive this and pay attention to what's going on and learn from it are you know going to be around for a very long time. Like the survivors are gonna are gonna be here many many years from now. The industry's well, not going anywhere. It's just going to uh, it's going to have a reality check. Uh, in my perception, I see that it seems like there. I I hate to use the frame that the, the phrase adults in the room. But it feels like there's more of a tendency now for there to be more adults in the room that uh, the, you know, I think the FTX collapse is an example, not not of the gaming industry, 
but as an example of of that there's going to be a new normal and the giving a bunch of kids a bunch of money because they play video games really well and saying, okay, we want you to enter a bunch of tournaments and win a bunch of things, um, I think is going away. Um, and so, you know, that's... I mean, some, some people believe it's going to go back to grassroots and some of it will, you know, mm-hmm. just playing, you know, the joy of, of competing and, and, you know... Um, teams working together and all of that stuff. So, um, and maybe it will, but, uh, I don't think, um, the big, the big money, uh, esports organizations are going to disappear. They're just going to be better run. So mm-hmm. gonna, if they learn from their mistakes, they're going to be run better and, um, they're going to survive. As and part all, of my, and oh, all, uh, let me, sorry. Um, and all the people that were like doing a cash grab and creating these silly companies are going to go bankrupt. It's over. It's over for them. Well, as a part of uh, making experiences for young people better through collaboration, is there an organization or person doing great things in the field that you want to give a shout out? Like who's a journalist, a, a, a fellow journalist who you look at and go, Boy, I really love reading their stuff. Or maybe a, a website that you that you say, boy, I really love reading their stuff. I love Jordan Pregan over at uh, Gamespeed. She's so she's an awesome writer, and she really puts a lot of work into everything she does. So, I, you know, if you're not reading her, you should. Um, for diversity and uh, inclusion, real honest talk, uh, Marcus. Uh, all right, Howard. Yeah, Marcus Howard. Oh boy, he's gonna be mad that I forgot a <laughs> Um, But he really is, you know, s- sincere and honest, and you know, especially when it comes to investment in the space for um, black-owned um, esports uh, companies. Like, really honest guy, really thoughtful. Lots of insights there. Um, Chris Smith, if you wanna uh, see how. How to do content on different platforms he's incredible he's uh with big uh, out of australia and uh um, and he used to just do it on his own right I mean, he he was literally and then all of a sudden he was doing something every day on linkedin he was always just every day there was like an hour and it was just really good content it was always solid yeah but i mean his post his videos are good and he's going to be doing he's going to be doing what he calls no bs conversations with a bunch of uh, different stakeholders in esports and gaming and blockchain and all this other stuff. So the metaverse. So definitely watch out for that. It's, you know, it's, it's free. So you can just go look at it on LinkedIn. Um, uh, obviously I like my old boss, uh, Chris Hanna, when it comes <laughs> to stuff to talking, to talking about uh, stuff like NFTs and esports, really sharp guy, um, great insights there. And and obviously all of my former colleagues at a at a TEO slash SBJ are are awesome. So you should really be reading their work. And 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 the Bing search engine. <laughs> and the Bing search engine. Get on that Bing search engine. No, but the MSN portal that for esports is pretty good. Yeah. Okay. You should check that out. It has everybody that you you know. Double tap is on there. Um, Deserto. Esports Insider, uh, you know, any any website you can imagine, it's on there. Well, James Fudge, as we sign off for this week's episode, what any final thoughts you want to leave the audience with other than check out the Esports Advocate, of course, and check you out on sub, uh, Substack and follow you on Twitter at jfudge. But any other final thoughts that you wish to share this week? Yeah, there's a couple of things, and it might take a little time. But that's uh, we're good. We're good. Well, one, I, go, I didn't we, answer your question about what parents can do. To, sorry, yeah, we did jump, and that's bad. We I, jumped I, right past it, but I do want to say that um, you know there are a lot of kids right now playing Fortnite competitively, um, you know, or trying to get into gaming or esports, and maybe they're looking at that as their future, and when parents look at it as a waste of time or um you know they should be doing something else they should be outside um they really need to understand what their kids are doing and support them because 
Like there is, there are careers out there now in gaming and esports and content creation. So, um, you know, I'm sure those same parents would be happy to uh, take part of their prize winnings if they they go into Fortnite competitive and win big. So, uh, you know, really support your kids. If you do game, try and game with them. Um, I game with my son. It can be frustrating at times, but uh, <laughs> um, my son I, hunts me in Fortnite. All that we've played a lot of Elden Ring together. Um, so, so yeah, just support your kids. And you know, there's always still a path to college, even if they are they want like if they want to stream on Twitch. You know, there's things they can learn in college that'll help them do that better how to create video, uh, media training, so that they know how to act in front of the camera or during an interview, um, writing, how to write a script or some idea that you have for content. So, or, you know, just general business, uh, you know, understanding how to operate your own business. So there's plenty of ways that college can, can still be a part of that. Yeah. But you, know, you should support your kids. If they were painting, you wouldn't knock the painting off the easel and say, get outside, right? So, well, I would want them to have some balance. I mean, in all of this, we do want to, we do also want to talk about balance, but what you're saying, I think to the, to the, the parents is, again, don't, don't, as I like to tell people, you know, if you are passionate and you love something and somebody you care for, who cares for you, and cares about you tells you that what you are doing is a waste of time. That's psychologically crippling. Yeah, no, it is. Even as an adult, <laughs> right? To be told that, you know, right? You should support your kids in whatever they want to do, right? You know, if they want to be a circus clown, send them <laughs> to the school in Florida. I don't know, you know, if that's what their passion is. I hate these parents that are like, I want my son to be a doctor or a lawyer. Like, and they don't want to be. <laughs> so, you know, they're just, it's, that's just leading to someone's disappointment somewhere. But, uh, and the other thing I wanted to talk about was yeah. journalism itself. Like, there are a lot of great websites out there that do great work. But um, one of the things I learned over the last year or so in talking with uh, editors and writers, some, you know, that are in positions and some that have and let go because there were a lot of layoffs. But one of the things I learned is, um, you know, they don't have someone as an editor that's doing anything more than doing management and, and budgeting. Um, so like we really need to think about what we can do to, to make content better, to train young people how to be journalists and how to write. And so, like I'd like to see, um, I'd like to see more um, more websites or, or website owners take that role seriously and not just put some guy in there and expect him to be able to do the job. Right. So, I don't know how we accomplish that because <laughs> I understand you don't want to hire a seasoned editor; it's expensive. But uh, you know, if you're gonna put somebody in the role, at least find a way to give them some training of some kind so that they in turn can train other people to just be better at what they're doing. Cause you know, for me as an editor, like I want that person to go on and be better than I ever was. I want them to go work for whoever they want to work for. They want to go work for vice or the New York times or the wall street journal or the Washington post or Fox news or wherever, like I want them to be able to accomplish that if that's what they want to do. And they can't do that if we're not teaching them the basic skills on, you know, how to be a journalist, how to be a better writer. So I see see a lot of that. And I, I think a lot of it is um, it's a money decision. It's not, it's about money. Yeah. It kind of makes me sad. Yeah, it, it, it's uh, unfortunate that, that again, local journalism especially, but journalism in general, especially in this day and age when we need uh, people we can trust, especially with the truth. Um, I know right. that everybody seems to think that everybody has an angle. 
I don't believe that every journalist is like that. I think most journalists just want to share a good, compelling story. And again, what you kind of alluded to is the universalness of the skills that you're wanting to impart on people, the good writing, the good research, the good finding of sources. Those are things that no matter if you want to stay in journalism or you want to get into marketing or you want to be in business or start your own business, those are all things that are transferable. Just because you're an esports journalist today doesn't mean you can't be the anchor of uh, of a uh, cable news or it doesn't mean that just because today you are the lifestyle you know you know story writer of your local paper doesn't mean that you're not going to uh break you know watergate um, those right. are obviously extreme extreme examples right. but but again all of these skills i think is what you're saying are transferable and again it's better to support and grow the industry in a responsible way as opposed to what I think we're seeing now where a lot of tearing down. The thing I want to come back to real quick is you talked about citing sources. And even if you philosophically or personally disagree with the person, that doesn't make their source or their reporting any less important. It doesn't mean that they have to be torn down publicly. You can ask additional questions. You can go to those sources and ask them additional things, but it doesn't mean that you have to publicly tear this person down as a quote unquote bad journalist, if you will. Right. No, you shouldn't listen. Always try and be as honest, be honest. I was going to say honest as you can, but try to be honest, you know, like be nice, um, you know, be fair. And, you know, it's, that's all you can really do. Well, James Fudge, as if, if it was a story about me, I know you covered by being hired by League Spot, and I appreciate that you did that. I didn't ask that you do that, and that's not why you're here today. But I would ask, but I would ask that James, if if ever there was something about me, and James was reporting it, I know and I believe that it would be honest, truthful, well sourced, and and published in a way that tells the whole story. Uh, I respect you as a journalist. Um, I would, I look forward to reading your things when you do post, uh, again, check out James, the esports advocate or check him out on Substack. James Fudge of the esports advocate. Thank you for being a guest on the Academy of Esports podcast today. That will do it for this week on the Academy of Esports. I've been your host, James O'Hagan. Esports are organized competitive video games, allowing schools to redefine their athletic culture, diversify opportunities for student participation promote good physical and mental health, increase collegiate scholarship pathways, and play games. We can never forget the importance of play. The mission of the Academy of Esports is to support these ideals. The vision of the Academy of Esports is for all students to experience the fun and joy of playing competitive video games. You may follow me on Twitter, at Jim O'Hagan. That's at J-I-M-O-H-A-G-A-N and through the Academy of Esports account at TAO Esports. It's a great way to get the latest blog posts, podcast episodes, and news coming out of esports and education. And remember, you can continue your engagement by going to www.taoesports.com. You can also connect through Facebook at www.facebook.com T-A-O eSports. Thanks again for listening, and I look forward to our time again next week.